0: to the Long Island Voice of Progress, where we discuss local Long Island news and topics. This is episode seven, and I'm your host, Ben. I hope all my listeners out there had a great Thanksgiving holiday. Ours was our small family and the grandparents, but it was nice, good food, good company. I have to remember that Just like the saying about not wearing white after Labor Day, I have to remember not to use the scale until after New Year's. I love the holiday season, and I love all the food. Sometimes a little too much. So, most recently, for those that aren't yet aware of this, the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals has struck down the appointment of the special master in the case against Trump regarding the theft and storage of classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. An 18-page memo was released, basically discrediting the entirety of the Trump legal argument for having a special master. And this was done by a panel of three conservative judges. They basically stated in their final decision that Trump has no right to request special treatment, as anyone else in the same position would never have that right. So what does this mean? Well, while originally, Jack Smith, the special counsel investigator, and his team were able to review the 103 classified documents in their investigation, this decision will allow them to review the additional 13,000 documents that were being held by the special master. Additionally, this is a message being sent loud and clear from conservative judges that this investigation is legitimate. Trump was banking on the reverse, and that the investigations could be slowed, stopped, or discredited. Instead, what he got was an 18-page document stating, nope, this investigation is legitimate, and these serious criminal allegations will be investigated thoroughly. So, Now that this investigation has been unhindered by any additional roadblocks, let's hope that this helps speed up the process of the investigation. So, speaking of the twice-impeached, incompetent, dishonest, racist bigot known as Trump, as we all know, he has publicly declared his intent on running for president again in 2024. Well, recently, Trump had dinner at Mar-a-Lago, with performer Kanye West, or Ye, as he wants to be called now, who has also been denounced for making anti-Semitic statements. And actually, as Friday morning, surprisingly, has had his Twitter account suspended by Elon Musk for attempting to incite violence once again. Since the account is now suspended, we can't tell which tweet prompted this, but it looks like one of his last tweets was a modified star of David with a swastika in it. Well, he brought with him a friend by the name of Nick Fuentes, an outspoken anti-Semite and racist who is one of the country's most prominent young white supremacists. The dinner attendees were confirmed by Trump advisors. Fuentes, who is 24 years old, has developed a high profile on the extreme far-right. A Holocaust denier and unabashed racist, Fuentes openly uses hateful language on his podcast. You know what I find confusing? Kanye, uh, excuse me, Ye West, is black. That we all know. Now, how someone like him can become such a fervent supporter of Adolf Hitler... And I say that because he has said those words himself on many occasions. How he can be a Hitler supporter astounds me. Hitler was a racist. He believed in the extermination of anyone that wasn't part of the Aryan race. And for those not familiar with that term, based on the Nazis, they considered the purest Aryans to be identified by physical features such as tallness, white skin, blue eyes, narrow and straight noses, prominent chins, and blonde hair. (laughs) Last time I checked, Ye West did not fit that description by a long shot. So, is West a self-hating black man? Because if he were alive in the time of Hitler, he himself would be on the list to be purged. And to make matters worse, as if that could even be possible, he brings Nick Fuentes, who he claims is his friend, a man that is a fervent believer that the United States needs to be turned into a, quote, white Christian nation, and who has been quoted saying, the founders never intended for America to be a refugee camp for non-white people, end quote. Again, Mr. West does not fit the criteria for what his friend is pushing for. This guy, and I'm referring to Fuentes, has recordings of himself all over the place with anti-American ideologies being hatefully spewed from his mouth. During an April taping of his podcast, Fuentes responded to an audience member's question about how to respond to his wife, quote, getting out of line End quote. His response to his audience was, and I quote here, Why don't you give her a vicious and forceful backhanded slap with your knuckles right across her face and make it hurt? End quote. And just like Mr. West, Fuentes seems to be a little confused in the head as well, being that, well, he's not white. If it wasn't apparent by the name Fuentes, by his own admission, his father is of Mexican descent. So here's another example of a self-hating individual. He is propping up a group of people as being superior to even himself. Of attempting to indoctrinate others into this belief, of which he's not a part of. If you ask me, both of these men come across as brainwashed into believing that they are subhuman. Or perhaps they're so far gone that when they look in the mirror, they actually see a white person staring back. Now, it isn't known how much Trump knew about Fuentes and his well-documented bigotry and extremism beforehand. However, as someone that has tossed their hat in the ring for the next presidential election... Trump has plenty of advisors whose job is to research and filter any meetings with him to be sure that he doesn't associate with the wrong people. The fact that Fuentes apparently passed initial background checks to make it to a dinner table with Trump is extremely telling. You know that old saying, you can tell a person's character by the company that they keep. Chris Christie, a former governor of New Jersey, who's considering a candidacy of his own, said, quote, this is just another example of an awful lack of judgment from Donald Trump, which, combined with his past poor judgments, make him an untenable general election candidate for the Republican Party in 2024, end quote. Now, listen, part of me does not want to talk about this guy Fuentes. I don't want to give him airtime. Or strengthen his ideas. Just like I'd rather not talk about Trump either. But part of me also thinks that it's necessary because people need to know what's happening. Burying our heads in the sand will do no one any good. But this recent interaction with someone as high profile as Trump has launched this guy's political influence into a whole new level. But you don't have to take my word on Fuentes. You can hear him for yourself right here. Take this moment, when he rails against the entire country and talks about forcing everyone to believe by his rules and how white people need to take over. Take a listen.
1: You gotta recognize the fact that this is a godless country. I hate it. It's immoral, it's wrong, it's heinous, it's evil. But this is an evil country. And this country will surprise you with how evil it is. But the point is, when you look at these things like uh, abortion, it's popular. People like abortion, hate it, but it's true. And you can thank the Jewish media for that. Abortion's popular. Sodomy's popular. You know, being gay is popular. Being a feminist is popular. Sex out of wedlock is popular. Contraceptives are, it's all popular. That's all. That's not to say it's good. That's not to say I like that. Popular means the people support it, which they do. And uh, and it sucks, and it is what it is. But that's why we need uh, dictatorship. <laughs> that's unironically why we need to get rid of all that. We need to take control of the media or take control of the government and force the people to believe what we believe, or force them to play by our rules and reshape the society. We need to uh, have something like a white uprising um politically speaking gain control of social media may maybe just get rid of Congress altogether after that happens here's the pathway we have one more election where white people can make the decision The white people got to make the right decision and then Trump's got to get in there and never leave that to me at this point is a pathway so it's time to shut up elect Trump one more time and then stop having elections
0: That's why we need a dictatorship, he says. Force people to believe what we believe. Unironically, he says. Apparently, he doesn't have a clue what that word means, as ironically, this is exactly the opposite reasoning for which this country was founded on. He also calls upon Christians to impose Christian laws on the entire country
1: that is precisely what we intend to do, is to impose Christian laws on everyone in the United States of America. That is what we have to do as Christians. We have to make sure that like the moon reflects the sun, the state reflects the church. We have to make sure that our normative laws and the laws that are passed by the government reflect the natural and the moral laws written by God. That is our job as Christians. Now, how do you coexist in the government with atheists or Jews? And the same goes for feminism and the role of women, and the same goes for homosexuality and same-sex relationships as well as transgenderism. Can a person go from one gender to another And this is going to be one of the biggest problems, I think, is that the Jewish people wield this immense influence even over the Republican Party and the conservative movement.
0: It is our job as Christians to make sure the laws written reflect the laws of our God, he says. Which goes hand in hand with his rant right after Roe v. Wade was repealed where he talks about creating a Catholic Taliban rule.
1: So that means that banning gay marriage is back on the menu. Banning sodomy is back on the menu. Banning contraceptives is back on the menu. And basically we're having something like Taliban rule in America in a good way.
0: In referencing the decision to reverse Roe versus Wade and the opinion released by Clarence Thomas threatening to reverse same-sex marriage, he says it's like having Taliban rule in America in a good way. Taliban rule in a good way? He also talks about outright outlawing gays and relegating women to basically being barefoot and pregnant at home, wanting to regress society to the Middle Ages. And if your wife doesn't comply, well... He wants them dragged out, kicking and screaming, and burned at the stake. No, seriously, he said that.
1: Listen. We have got to talk about the fundamentals of our worldview and what it would look like to build a society based on our distinct worldview, which is different from the left, different from a godless, atheist, constructivist, liberal worldview. It looks like a society where women don't have the right to vote, and it looks like a society where Boys and girls get married as teenagers and start having kids, and they don't use birth control and they don't use contraceptives, and they have big families and a high birth rate. And it looks like women wearing veils at church, and it looks like women not being in the workforce, and it looks like mothers raising their kids, and it looks like pornography being banned, and homosexuality and transsexuality, as well as heterosexual sodomy as well as fornication and adultery being shamed by the society. And maybe in some places, in some jurisdictions, regulated by the law. It's not enough to say we're against trannies. You got to be against women's rights too. It's not enough to be against blue haired feminism. You got to be against women getting educated. Okay. Or else, what are we really trying to achieve here? 1999, 1999 sucked too. We want to go back to to 1099. We want to go back to the Middle Ages. So we're burning your gay pride flag. We're burning your gay pride float. And then we're going to drag your bitch wife out of her house, kicking and screaming. And then we're going to burn her at the stake too for being a witch.
0: Christian rules looks like a society where women don't have the right to vote are not in the workforce where homosexuality is banned. You have to be against women's rights. You have to be against women getting educated. We want to go back to the Middle Ages. I cannot wrap my head around this. I find it astonishing how such words can be uttered by a human being in complete seriousness. I mean... How does a human being get so fundamentally broken that they can honestly believe in such things? Vincent James, an unapologetic racist, anti Semite, misogynist, conspiracy theorist, and fascist, who currently serves as the treasurer of white nationalist Nick Fuentes' American First Organization, celebrated on his own live stream the recent dinner that Fuentes had with twice-impeached loser Donald Trump. It's also noteworthy to say that the term America First, which is the name of Fuentes' podcast and also the name of his own foundation, was first coined in the early 1900s to describe a policy of isolationism. In the 1920s, it became a policy stance used by the KKK to spread their racist xenophobic sentiments. Then in the 1940s, a group was created called the America First Committee, which was filled with anti-Semitic and pro-fascist rhetoric and had deep ties to the Nazi government and Adolf Hitler. And most recently, it's been revived and promoted by Donald Trump. This should be a major blazing alarm for everyone when people like this, who are on the outermost fringe of extremist right-wing politics, are sitting down for a private Thanksgiving dinner with the leading Republican Party's presidential candidate. Now, some people may argue that these things are not things that Trump said, so it doesn't really matter. Really? The reason meetings like this are so important and should be viewed as important by everyone is because someone like Trump, the current leader of the Republican Party and the presumptive presidential nominee for them, is giving Fuentes and Nazis like him perceived legitimacy. It increases their ability to get their message out and furthers their reach into our society to operate freely, to recruit more people to their inhumane cause. I can't help but scratch my head wondering how you can have normal politics when you have this kind of politics happening at the same time and being given legitimacy. Talking about normal politics, here we have Democrats in Congress coming back to this lame duck session You would think there would be some urgency knowing that they will be losing their majority in the House on January 3rd. You would think they would be burning the midnight oil, burning candles at both ends, and whatever other euphemism you can think of to indicate working around the clock before Republicans take over the House. The obstructionism begins in earnest and no more work can be done. There are just over 30 days left in this session. And the Senate is slated to work for 15 of them. And the House, for 12. Most recently, the Respect for Marriage Act was passed by the Senate. Now it goes back to the House for final approval before heading to the President. It's a start of marriage equality, but it really does need to go further as this bill doesn't actually make same-sex marriage legal. All it does is force states to recognize and respect marriages done legally in other states and ensures that the federal government recognizes these marriages as well, protecting all federal benefits to those families. However, if the Supreme Court does, as Judge Clarence Thomas has threatened, repeal the Oberfell decision, then there will effectively be a majority of states where same-sex marriage will once again become illegal. Currently, 29 states have constitutions that include bans on same-sex marriage, and 31 have statutes that ban same-sex marriage. And while these are all now defunct under the Oberfell ruling, should that ruling be overturned, those bans will once again go into effect, leaving only 19 states where same-sex marriages would continue to be legal. And that might leave those that obtained marriage licenses in those other states in a possible legal limbo as well. And just yesterday, Biden requested that Congress consider pushing forward a bill to force the railroad unions into accepting a previous proposed contract that was already rejected by four of the 12 unions, one of which is the largest of all the unions for the railroad workers. And currently, there's an agreement that if any of the 12 unions go on strike, Each union will honor the picket line. Now, I'm not going to pretend that I understand all the nuances of the negotiations between these unions and their employers. Speaking as someone who has actually been at a negotiating table many, many times, I understand how difficult the entire process can be. That being said, I can understand the position that President Biden is currently in, in that if the unions strike, that it can have a devastating effect on our economy. And it is President Biden's job to protect our nation as a whole. So we have to understand his position in wanting to prevent this strike from happening and further worsening our economy. Based on some estimates, it would actually cost our economy $2 billion per day should a strike happen. I agree that right now, with how inflation is going, I don't think that is something that our citizens can tolerate. That being said, I also understand the union workers' side in wanting fair compensation and specifically time off of work to take care of themselves as well as their families. This brings to mind an old saying, you should work to live, not live to work. From what I've come to understand, the biggest sticking point is being able to get sick time so that these workers can make doctor's appointments or otherwise take care of their own health or the health of their family when needed. That's not an unreasonable ask. The White House could have asked Congress to extend the rail negotiations cooling off period beyond December 9th to buy more time for the parties to come together. But it seems that Even the railroad unions were still holding out to the original December 9th deadline and didn't ask for an extension. Plus, the unions also didn't request further White House intervention to broker a deal. I'll agree that this was a pretty big situation, and in some ways, Biden blew it. Listen, I'm a Democrat, but I will call out the bad when I see it too, even on our side. Democrats are the party of the working American. And right now, forcing this on the rail workers doesn't feel like they're backing our workers. Again, we're seeing this from the outside and don't know all the minutia of the negotiations. So we have to understand that there is probably a lot that we are not fully aware of. This might sound like I'm going on a tangent, but bear with me. I'm a huge sci-fi fan. And there is a quote from a show called Babylon 5. This line, I believe, was written by Joseph Straczynski, and it goes like this. Quote, understanding is a three-edged sword, your side, their side, and the truth, end quote. The older I get, I tell you, the more I believe that this one line is probably one of the most accurate pieces of wisdom ever aired on television. I try to keep that nugget of wisdom in my mind whenever I come across a situation where there are two sides and I wasn't privy to being part of the original conversation. So before we as Democrats all tear into the president for what is perceived as a horrible move, which part of me agrees with, remember that saying, understanding is a three-edged sword. Could there have been a better deal that could have been imposed by Congress? Maybe. But we weren't in on those negotiations. We don't have all the facts. I don't personally believe this was the correct move. And at the very least, some sick time should have been added to the contract before they were forced to accept it. However... Again, that being said, I like that Nancy Pelosi said that they were going to look into a second vote, which would add seven days of paid sick leave to the deal, a provision that would deliver at least a symbolic win to union supporters, but would face tougher odds of getting through the Senate. While the measure passed the House, it unfortunately failed to pass the Senate because they could not get enough Republicans to vote for it. They only got six. Senator Joe Manchin was the only Democrat to vote against the bill. That man's name appears way too much connected to being a voice in sabotaging Democratic initiatives, in my opinion. No matter which way you slice it, this was a complex and fluid situation, and I am sure that as a third party entering the mix, it was not easy for President Biden's administration to handle, especially with the large reaching implications it had attached to it. So let's try to give him and his administration the benefit of the doubt. But as someone I know likes to say, let's remember to keep our leaders' feet to the fire to ensure that they're working for us and not Their own self interests. And in more local news, it was recently reported that COVID reinfection rates are the highest in Long Island compared to the rest of the state, according to data obtained from the New York State Health Department. I know everyone is tired of hearing about COVID, but unfortunately, since so many people railed against and ignored the simple steps to protect themselves and others it looks like COVID is something that we're just going to have to deal with for the foreseeable future. Statistics indicate that over 2,000 reinfections were reported just in a week from November 21st, which equates to a 10.2 infection rate per 100,000 people, compared to New York City's 8.6 rate. Now, it's also noteworthy that these numbers do not reflect all reinfections. This is just data compiled from the medical facilities, since those that test at home don't necessarily report their positive infections as they should. Dr. Bruce Farber, Chief of Public Health and Epidemiology for Northwell Health, says it is vital for people to understand that being reinfected a second time with COVID should be taken as seriously as the first infection. Quote, There's some data just coming out that suggests the rate of long COVID and complications is just as high with reinfections as it was with the original infection. End quote. A recent study from Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis found that repeat infections can actually cause adverse health conditions in organ systems and can contribute to diabetes, kidney disease, and mental health issues. In other news, school districts across the state of New York will, as of the end of this school year, be prohibited from using any Native American mascots, team names, or logos the New York State Department of Education ruling directs schools to comply by the end of this school year or risk losing state aid and potentially even have school officers removed from their positions. Unsurprisingly, conservatives are losing their collective minds over this ruling, at least here on Long Island. The thing is, this prohibition isn't actually a new thing. As per the memo sent to all school districts on November 17th, it states, quote, SED has consistently opposed the use of Native American mascots. In 2001, former Commissioner of Education Richard P. Mills issued a memorandum concluding that the use of Native American symbols or depictions as mascots can become a barrier to building a safe and nurturing school community and improving academic achievement for all students. Commissioner Mills recognized that, While a role for a local discretion existed, there is a state interest in providing a safe and supportive learning environment for every child. He asked boards of education to end the use of Native American mascots as soon as practical, end quote. So as stated clearly here, over 20 years ago, the state had requested that all schools move away from Native American displays of names, mascots, and logos. This isn't a new idea that came out of nowhere. There was a school district that attempted to appeal the commissioner's decisions, the Cambridge School District. The Supreme Court in Albany County affirmed the commissioner's determination in its entirety on June 22, 2022. Crucially, the court held that the commissioner, quote, determined correctly that the continued use of of the Indians' nicknames and imagery given the 20 years that has passed since Commissioner Mills' directive and given the imperatives of the district's diversity policy was itself an abuse of discretion, end quote. The memo to districts goes on to say, quote, thus the court's decision establishes that public school districts are prohibited from utilizing Native American mascots arguments that community members support the use of such imagery or that it is respectful to Native Americans are no longer tenable, end quote. Arguments of community support for such imagery is no longer tenable. So for all of those across the island currently losing their collective minds over this decision, there you go. This was decided over 20 years ago, Many districts flat out ignored the directive by the commissioner, and therefore, it was an abuse of discretion. It was brought to the Supreme Court to be appealed, and the appeal was struck down. End of discussion. Move on. To talk a little more about this and give us a different perspective, I have with me Mr. Jermaine Smith of the Shinnecock Nation. He's one of seven council trustee members Elected to his position since 2019. His responsibilities include overseeing the education of the Shinnecock children and is also the primary delegate for the Tribal Advisory Committee under the Administration for Children and Families through Health and Human Services. He's also a current board member of the Southampton School District. Thank you for being here, Mr. Smith.
2: Okay, um... My name is uh, Jermaine Smith. My Algonquin name is Wampanehu, New Sky. Um, thank you for having me on your podcast this evening. And I'd be glad to talk to you about any uh, any questions you might have for me about this topic.
0: That's great. Thank you. So now I know that there are several different tribes across New York State and that this idea was initially brought forward over 20 years ago. But I'm curious, was the Shinnecock tribe involved in advocating for this change, or was this something that just naturally evolved over time?
2: Well, as you stated, this has been going on for, for many years across the country, um, not just New York State. We all heard about the, the Washington Redskins for, for several years. Um, so it's something that has naturally evolved over time. Um, and it's uh, not something that Shinnecock Nation particularly um, rallied against um, a- as a whole, but it is it is something that has evolved, and we we welcome the, the the change and the decision.
0: Now, do you feel that school districts using Native American names, mascots, and logos are offensive and? Can you explain and help our listeners understand a bit about how these images and names were perceived uh, by your tribe and and by extension, perhaps other tribes?
2: Well, let me begin by saying that, you know, Native American culture, Shinnecock culture, um, there are 574 federally recognized tribes across the United States today. And we are just, you know, we all have, you know, different tribal affiliations. We, we, have, we speak different languages. Um, many of us lost our languages and we're doing, you know, language revitalization, you know, as we speak. So it's tough to speak for, and I cannot speak for every tribe across the country. But what I will say is, you know, as far as, you know, is everyone offended by this? I can't, I can't say that you know, the names and, and the mascots. What, what, what I will say is that what Governor Hokel has done is a, is a step in and, and New York State Education Department, who I work closely with. I work with, as, as you stated, I'm a board member on the Southampton School District. I also work closely with the Tuckahoe School District in the area. And I work as a, um, I started the My Brother's Keeper program which was an initiative brought out by Obama in, I believe, 2014. And I work with Shinnecock Youth. Uh, Myself and my cousin, Sean Smith, have worked on the My Brother's Keeper program for, for several years. So what I will say is that this is a step in the right direction. We have many, many other issues. And the offensive part is that Many of these names are used, and some of them are outright offensive. Uh, Washington Redskins, for instance. Some of them aren't so offensive, but what is offensive is that they're used in, in a way that perceives us a, as a people, an indigenous people, that we no longer exist. And, and we are still here. Um, in fact, many of the tribes around the country are growing. We have, we have grown together. We've been here in Long Island, you know, for more than 10,000 years. We we predate the Constitution and our names and likenesses. If you come to the East End, you'll see Shinnecock everywhere without our permission used in local businesses. The, you know, the names on the, the storefronts that Shinnecock Nation did not give approval to use those names. So we're looked at as either we no longer exist or we're third-class citizens with no rights and we don't matter. So the change in this, that in my opinion, as an educator, as a tribal leader, is long overdue and it's a step in the right direction. But personally, I find many of the names offensive and we're we're a people that are still here and we exist and we're strong.
0: So do you agree I mean, you, you basically kind of said this, but question is, do you agree with the ruling from the New York State Department of Ed? And how important do you believe that this ruling is for Native Americans?
2: I think it's extremely important. And I do agree. And and for maybe for no other reason than it's New York State taking another step to, to recognize who we are as a people and that we still exist and that we're important. People think of Indian culture, Native Americans as, you know, as I stated before, you know, a thing of the past. My grandfather, my father's father, um, right now there's something in the Supreme Court, the the Brackeen-Holland case, and it deals with, deals with ICWA, the Indian Child Welfare Act, which was established in 1978 to protect Native children because Native children were taken from their their homes and ancestral lands in droves, stripped of their culture, their families. And my grandfather, right here in Shinnecock in Long Island, was taken from Shinnecock in the early 1900s and put in a, in a boarding school in upstate New York. That was my grandfather. This is not ancient history. These are you know stories that were told to me by my grandmother. I never got to meet my grandfather. He died when my dad was 16. But my grandmother you know, would speak to me about these things and my, my father. So these things are um, fresh for many of us and I'm not, I'm not old. So this is, this is something that still affects us culturally. So when we're disrespected by, by symbols and symbolism, as if we don't exist, that's, that's the more offensive part. So, yes, to answer your question, I do agree with it, and and I think that it was a step in the right direction. We have a long way to go. I still see right now in schools, there's a big talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. We have a long way to go when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. We have problems in all the districts across Long Island and in, in the United States. You know, it's hard to change the thought process that has been ingrained in people for generations about where Native people belong, or where Black people belong, or where any minority belongs, Latinos belong. It, it's a deep-rooted inequity that has a long way to go.
0: I 100% agree with you. We have a long way to go. I do believe that this is a good first step, but by no means is this something that should be considered You know, the end of it, like you said there's a lot more that we need to do to bring in that inclusivity that equality for everyone and more so even even for myself that I, you know I represent part of the minority you know groups out there as well but you know it's completely different when it comes to something like with native americans i mean that that's it's a topic that isn't spoken about enough isn't educated to children enough and It's more than high time for things to change and for respect and dignity to be brought back for the people that have long deserved it. Well, Mr. Smith, I want to again thank you for taking the time to speak on behalf of the Shinnecock Nation, bringing us your unique perspective and helping to educate us all a little bit more about this issue.
2: You're welcome. And in Shinnecock Algonquin language, that's Tabutnei. Thank you.
0: In addition to the changes that this ruling by the New York State Department of Ed will bring about, there was actually one other thing that I found interesting about the memo that was sent to the districts. And that was the very last paragraph. Let me read that to you. Quote, schools are learning environments. Students learn as much through observation of their surroundings, as they do from direct instruction. In addition to their legal obligations, boards of education that continue to utilize Native American mascots must reflect upon the message their choices convey to students, parents, and their communities." End quote. Why do I find that bit interesting, you're probably asking yourself. Well, because of other things happening at school districts. Again, like the Konequat School District with their ban on LGBT flags. Because based on the paragraph I just read, which clearly states that students learn as much through observation of their surroundings as they do from direct instruction then would it be safe to say that a ban on LGBT flags is teaching the students by how their surroundings are being shaped? Isn't the message being sent that of discrimination by hiding a group of people? By marginalizing them? By minimizing them? Forcing them to not be seen? That's how it looks to me. And I know that is how it looks to the majority of the ConnectWalk community. However, the flags continue to be prevented from being shown on school grounds to this day. Last week, I had mentioned how there was a security breach at the Suffolk County DMV, which exposed approximately 500,000 driver's licenses. Well, it was just announced that starting today, Friday, December 2nd, Suffolk County employees will start getting letters informing them that their social security number could now have been compromised following the county's cyber attack. Approximately 26,000 social security numbers were accessed during the security breach, or so it was reported by News 12. Steve Ballone, Suffolk County executive, said the forensic team investigating the breach discovered A county server containing employee health plan information had been compromised. News 12 reported that county officials had a four-hour meeting on Wednesday about this wide-scale breach of personal data. They do not believe protected health information was exposed, but they said social security numbers were taken from the server. This applies only to county employees and retirees, who were enrolled with the county's medical health plan since 2013. As mentioned in our last podcast, credit monitoring and identity theft protection must be activated by February 17th. To learn more about eligibility and to activate these services, you can visit suffolkcounty.kroll.com. Again, that is SuffolkCounty. K-R-O-L-L dot com. Before we end our episode, I want to mention that we are looking for voices in the Kinequa and Farmingdale school districts to speak about their experiences regarding the recent anti-LGBT actions and sentiments spreading across the island and within their school districts. Parents, students, and teachers are welcome to email us at livoiceofprogress at gmail.com or use Messenger directly on our Facebook page. We can work with your level of comfort and have several options should you have concerns about privacy and want to keep your voices anonymous. Make yourself heard. Again, please reach out to the Long Island Voice of Progress and tell your community and the communities across our beloved island your experiences. Help shine a light on the shadows that are creeping into our communities. Let me leave you all with one last thought, a quote from author Adam Grant. In hard times, people don't want to be told to look on the bright side. They want to know you are on their side. Even if you can't help them feel better, you can always help them feel seen. The best way to support others is not to cheer them up. It's to show up. I just hope we all keep that in mind when thinking about LGBT issues, however minor they may sound. If you have any news regarding your local area that you would like to share with us, please email us at livoiceofprogress at gmail.com. This podcast is currently available on Anchor, Spotify Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Tune in using your favorite streaming service. And also, please don't forget to follow us on Facebook at Long Island Voice of Progress. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening. I'm looking forward to our future podcasts and guest speakers and having you listen to them. Until then, peace and love to all. This has been the Long Island Voice of Progress.